Good morning. Uh, it is uh, just a joy to see all of you. Uh, though I see you behind the mask, I hope it's smelling behind the mask, because we are, we've been praying so much for your arrival here. And so welcome. We are so happy you're here and look forward to the sojourn that we have together in the days to come. Have you ever read something that you knew the minute you read it, you would never forget it? I had the experience uh, almost 40 years ago when I picked up a copy of Christianity Today magazine. I picked it up and I read something in the editorial page and uh, this person was writing in about an article that had been written the previous month, which I don't remember reading actually, but the, the person who wrote the editorial you know, uh, letter was clearly very upset about that article. And the article had something to do with uh, latest like liberal scholars' doubts about the New Testament and raising questions about the authority of the New Testament, etc. And he was upset. And he wrote these words and he said, uh, you know, uh, I don't know any Greek or Hebrew or stuff like that, but I know these scholars are dead wrong. And I know, he says, I, 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 number, I know they think that I'm just a simple-minded fool. I and mean, then it's here that he made the statement, I will never forget. This is what he said. That's the exact quote. But I'd rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. I've never forgotten that. I'd rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. Now there's part of me that I, I totally get the guy's frustration, but is that really our option? It's like someone telling you, you can choose between living in Hiroshima in 1945 or be on the Titanic's maiden voyage, you choose. But really, is it not, God could God call something greater than that? Could we be scholars on fire? Amen? This is really, I think, what, uh, what drives that statement. I'd rather be a fool on fire and a scholar on ice is in part the idea that devotion to God often leads to a warm heart and an empty head. The life of the mind is held in substack, and the, the altar and the desk are held in tension. And people will say, you know, people will oh, check your brain, at the, your, check your heart at the door, check your brain at the door if you go in the church, or maybe you've already had the uh, experience, someone says, you're, you know, what are you doing this fall? And you're saying, you're going to seminary. And they say, oh, you're going to cemetery. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it already. Well, you've already heard of our testimonies, but I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, welcome to Asbury Theological Seminary where scholarship is on fire. Amen. Welcome to Asbury, the life of the mind enlarges the heart, and the devoted heart helps us to capture the mind of Christ. John Wesley called this description this wonderful, what he called, nuptial embrace between sound learning and vital piety. Welcome to Scholarship on Fire. Now, if you ever someday earn a privilege of a degree from Asbury Seminary, and let me uh, trust you, it does happen. 
people actually get through this program. You will someday graduate. When that happens, I want you to be a person that is thoughtful and reflective, have, have, have learned a lot of new things, but also a heart on fire for Jesus Christ. Heart even more aflame with the gospel. This has been known historically as the Asbury Experience, and we still embrace it even in our 97th year. In fact, I think of Wesley himself, who embodied this as much as anyone in church history, a man who got up in the morning, early morning to pray, found him reading his great New Testament at breakfast, followed by feeding the poor, instructing new believers in class meetings afternoon, and then was at the brickyards preaching the gospel at dusk. That's my kind of man. How about you? This is the head, heart, feet, and hand all tied into a knot that is so deeply cherished here at Asbury Seminary. Our text this morning comes from the first epistle of Peter, and Peter's a person who struggled with this. He always led with his heart. But he's a man who learned to bring his mind under devotion to Jesus Christ. And that is the context of our text, where Peter's giving exhortation to new believers, encouraging them even in the face of opposition and challenges. He writes to a world a lot like ours. I want to point out three things he says in this text. The first, in verse 15, what I want to call the sanctified heart. Peter says, in your hearts, sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord. Peter's telling these believers that, that something must happen in your heart where you set apart your heart as a sanctuary for the Lord, for his dwelling, for his work in your life. Think of those verses in the Psalms. You know, give me an undivided heart that I may praise your name. Can you this morning just say to the Lord, Lord, I want this season at Asbury to be one of an undivided heart. You can learn a lot of things here and your heart be far from God. You can learn a lot of things here, gain a lot of information and go out and be destructive in the life of the church. But if your heart is knit with your mind and you bring this together in one holy devotion, then God can do great things through you. This is our vision for you. Faith for Peter filled the whole frame of, his, frame of his life. It was something he was prepared to suffer for. It was faith for the world. This was the, the faith where it caused Peter to address the lame beggar day of Pentecost and say, on the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. That's a faith that's filled with action, isn't it? Faith that caused Abraham to leave his land, his family, his people, and go to the new place God had called him. Many of you have left behind your, your families, your, what you knew, your life, your jobs, and you've made your way to Wilmore, Kentucky. That's an act of faith. That's faith in action. That's what we're talking about. Faith was in the fingers of those four men who carried their paralytic friend to Jesus and clawed their way through the roof that day to let him down into the presence of Jesus. It was faith that caused Rahab to hide those spies under the flax on her roof. You see, faith is always an active thing in the scripture, something you do, not just something that you have in your heart. And so Paul, or Peter, brings this wonderful heart together with our mind. Secondly, where he calls us in verse 15, always be prepared 
to give an answer to everyone who asks you to the reason for the hope that you have. I call this the solidified mind. Peter calls us to make a defense for the gospel. This is the word of, of apologion. It's the word we get a word apologetics from. Being able to make a defense for the gospel. Peter already in this, chapter, in this book has said in verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Are you coming here to also prepare your mind for action? Peter, of course, was warming himself by the fire one day, and he denied Christ three times in a moment of trial. There's so many ways in which we find ourselves tempted afresh to deny Christ and to lose our testimony. And part of what happens when you bring together your heart and your mind is that God gives you the fortitude to stand firm for him. Let's face it, there's no longer any Christian cultural consensus in America. We're increasingly in a broken society. We've seen the Twitterization of all you know, conduct and that everything has to be said in 280 characters or less. We've seen the onslaught of alternative facts and post-truth and all of the rest. And I want to say to you as close as I can that a kind of business-as-usual approach will not get the job done in this culture. We have a lot of experiences that you need to have here that will best prepare you for what lies ahead. If you were to travel around the country and you were to go and just could be put you in warp speed, you know, and go around and visit church after church after church, and you were to experience Sunday morning across America, not just Methodist, any, almost any church, what would you mostly experience? Well, you would hear a lot of sermons filled with bland moralizing. You would have, hear a lot of cute stories. You'd hear a few funny jokes. You'd hear sermons that would require a lot of goodwill to get through. What would be actually rare, and thank God it does happen, what would be rare would be an exceptionally clear, well-thought-out exposition of Scripture which actually was applied to the real issues people were facing that week. How can you learn to lament in the modern-day church? How can you learn to actually address people with the Word of God? See, these are some of the challenges that you are facing. The great project of your generation is the rediscovery of biblical Christianity. We've, been, we've inherited a very domesticated version, and your job is to shake yourself free from all of that. I think if you could say if there's a prime directive, I think it's my second allusion to Star Trek, I don't really mean that, but if there was a prime directive in the contemporary church, it would be this, always adapt to culture. It trades on the unspoken but defining question of the modern church, which is this, what is the least one has to do to become a Christian? I want us to turn that on its head and say, what is the most God has called you to? What's the most God's called your generation to? Can we just put an end to minimalistic Christianity? It's a failed project. It is wrong to try to get as many people as possible to acknowledge as superficially possible a gospel which is theologically unsustainable. We can debunk the, say the liberals have debunked the gospel 
uh, by taking away the miraculous, but we have been guilty of trivializing it. And so we're called to something deeper here, and this is what Peter calls us to. The Asbury Seminary exists to you, for you to give an informed, well-thought-out response to a world which has not had their questions answered heretofore. There are literally thousands, tens of thousands, that need a re-presentation of the gospel. And this is what you can give him, give him or her. So we'll demand hard work without apology. You're on a spiritual, intellectual, heartfelt, formational voyage. This will not be a cruise ship where your every need will be met. This is more like a kind of a place, a voyage of self-denial and ardor. You'll be challenged in deep ways. You'll, you'll claw your way through the Greek New Testament and that there you might just find afresh the face of God. You'll find yourself late at night when your friends discussing a deep theological problem because you'll find the gospel renewed in your own heart. Here maybe you'll preach one of your first sermons or have your first supervised counseling session and realize for the first time what it really means to be a co-participator with God in his redemptive work. This is a great opportunity for us. And finally, Peter calls us, thirdly, to the sensitized witness. In verse 16, he says, But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. The human mind can withstand almost anything except the power of love. It's so lacking today. The power of real sacrificial love one to another into a lost world. We're hoping this time here you'll be brought into a new experience of the power of proclaiming the gospel, yet doing it with respect, with gentleness, with love. This will not be done through pastor as comfortable career option, pastor as climbing you know, the denominational ladder, Pastor is being preoccupied with your salary, your pension plan, your parsonage, all of that. These are days where we have to actually engage the world missionally with our full heart and mind engaged with humility and grace. These are days of Perpetua from Carthage, who although she was nursing a child, was willing to face the lion's den rather than bow down to the idol's of her generation. These days of Athanasius, that great Alexandrian bishop, who saw the whole church embracing Arianism, and you may not yet know what Arianism is, but you will, trust me. He saw the whole world embracing Arianism. He said, no, it was a Christological error. The church has got to go that way. Go back and read the text again. Some of you, they, they actually called Athanasius, this, his title was Athanasia Contra Mundum, Athanasius Against the World. He seemed to be standing up against everybody, but he saved the church from great error. And many of you will be called to, to stand in the gap once again and call the church back from its error and to call it back again to the power and the fervency of God's word. These are the days of, of Augustine, when the whole empire was collapsing, Rome was being sacked, and he wrote that amazing book, City of God. Many of you, some of you out there right now, God will prepare you. Someday you will write the book that only your generation can write. 
that in the midst of our own cultural demise, our own cultural challenges, where we, like Rome of long ago, is trying to find ourselves crumbling at every point, can call us afresh to a new vision of God's church to address a culture in great need. These are days of Martin Luther, when the church had lost its way, and he found the prophetic voice to wade out into the river of public opinion and say, here I stand, I can do no other. The boldness of Martin Luther, we need to once again remember. These are the days of John Wesley, who, by the way, preached himself out of every pulpit in England. And he said, that's the context of his famous statement where he says, since I have no pulpit of my own, I've determined that the world is my parish. You see, he never lost his vision despite all the challenges he faced. Well, this is the hope. Welcome to Asbury Theological Seminary, where head and heart go hand in hand. Welcome to Asbury Theological Seminary, where you're called to be more than fools on fire. Welcome to Asbury, you're called to be scholars on fire. In the words of our own mission statement, it's not only be theologically educated, but be sanctified and spirit-filled. That's our hope for you. That someday you'll go from this place, you will walk across the stage, God will have at that point formed you in a new place of ministry, and you'll go out and you'll give them heaven. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And I do pray, God, that you would do a new work in the life of this new generation of students as they come here. Prepare them for all that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.